Welcome to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages every week. These powerful messages are sure to inspire you and keep you on track. Whether it's our late founder, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, or any of your favorite fellowship leaders worldwide, including Pastors Joe Campbell, Paul Stevens, Mark Olson, Tom Payne, Harold Warner, Richard Ruby, and many more, get ready to hear from God through this message. Lord of God, amen. I want to say thank you, amen, to Pastor Greg and the Prescott congregation, amen. What a what an honor, amen, to be able to minister this uh, morning. What an amazing thing uh, that we are a part of, amen. And so, uh, amen, very, very uh, grateful uh, to be here, amen, this morning. You know, some time back I was told about a cooking show. And, uh, you know, cooking shows are very popular today. They have their own channels and things like that. And in this cooking show, what they would do is uh, partners would go against other partners. You know, it was a team of two against another team of two, totaling about four uh, partners. And uh, what would happen is they had 30 minutes to come up with a dish. Now, the trick was that one of the partners would leave and the other one would stay and start cooking, making up his own dish. Anything that he wanted to make, he could make. After 15 minutes, they would bring in his partner. Then he had a choice. He could either keep building and, uh, you know, finish what his partner had started cooking, or he could completely get rid of it and start his own dish. And so what they found is that the guys that would come in and eliminate their partner's dish would almost always lose. The guys that would come in and simply just add to what their partner was already doing always had a better chance. I thought about that story and I thought about takeovers. And uh, amen, because the same is true for taking over a church. So many times, amen, uh, uh, we see, amen, people that uh, come in and they just add to what was already there. And you see, amen, a church begin to flourish. I want to minister a sermon that I've entitled Takeovers. Out of 2 Samuel 16, 5, I'm going to preach, amen, on taking over churches. Now, this is a David that we are about to read about. He's been on the run from Absalom. He comes back into his kingdom. I want you to keep in mind that this is 30 years after David had already become king. 30 years after. We pick up on verse 5. Now, when King David came to Belharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. Coming from there, he came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and at the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left hand. Also, Shimei said, thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue, the Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, 
Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please, let me go over there and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. Amen. Again, I want to minister on taking over churches. Now, I understand in an assembly like this, amen, that I am not the most qualified, amen. I am not up here this morning um, proclaiming that I know everything about taking over churches. I have taken over three churches, me and my wife. All three churches have done very, very well. Me and my wife, on the other hand, amen, have, have left with a, with a little twitch, but, uh, but uh, we're, we're, we're going to be okay, amen. And so, but, but the churches are doing good. Now, I credit that to two things. I credit that to my amazing wife, amen, who has been an incredible help to me in my ministry. Definitely, amen, could not do it without her. Uh, I tend to upset the people. She tends to calm them down, amen. And so <laughs> I also credit that to uh, having an amazing pastor, amen, my pastor, Richard Ruby. Both of them have guided me through my nonsense, through my many, 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 many mistakes in taking over churches, uh, but they have both played an incredible role uh, in, uh, in the churches doing well. Amen. And so I can't stand up here and take any kind of credit for it. Now, I was nervous about preaching on this topic. And, uh, you know, I was talking to Pastor Stevens uh, a couple of weeks ago and I told him my thought. And he said, you know, Roman, it's one of the biggest challenges in our fellowship right now. It's one of the biggest problems is takeovers and I also called Pastor Greg and went over my thoughts, some of my thoughts with him, and he told me, uh, you know, the same thing, filled in some, uh, you know, gave me some advice, uh, and so I'm going to minister him in a uh, sermon that I've entitled Takeovers. Now, first of all, I want to look at understanding your position, or what I call a one-way love. Now, this is the day that David was waiting for, to be made king, but it's important to understand um, that he's taking over another man's kingdom, another man's ministry, if you would. He didn't build it, and uh, he wasn't the first king. Saul was. And our fellowship is now over 50 years old. Many of our churches have had takeovers, multiple pastors. Um, in fact, all of our board of elders uh, have taken over another man's ministry with the exception of Pastor Harold Warner. And so that's where we're at right now in our fellowship in our text, David was over 60 years old, almost uh, 30 years after he was made king. That means uh, Shimei still hadn't accepted him. Now they tell us, give it about five years, and then the, the church turns out. This is, we're talking about 30 years. And there's still people in the kingdom that have ill feelings uh, about the pastor. So we see here that not everyone is excited about David taking the kingdom. 
You're going to have people in takeovers that are excited for you. They're happy. But then you're also going to have a group of people that are not excited and they are upset. I want to draw a parallel this morning in taking over churches and taking over an instant family. You know, when I got married to my wife, Nora, she had two boys. She had a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And I understood that I wasn't just marrying Nora. I was also going to marry her boys, that they were going to become my sons. And I also understood that it was probably going to be a one-way love. In other words, I was going to provide and I was going to love those boys like they were mine, but they were probably never going to love me back. Not like their real father anyways. I remember, you know, shortly after we got married, they started calling me dad. They hadn't seen their father in years, and one summer they went to go see him. They come back calling me Roman. I said, hey, man, what happened? And, uh, you know, my, my, my youngest son, he says, my dad said not to call you dad. You're our fake daddy. You're not our real daddy. <laughs> Listen, when you take over a church, you are a fake daddy. You are not the real daddy. And, you know, not understanding this or not being okay with this can really hurt you in the long run. We see the wisdom here in David's ministry when Shimei begins to attack him and he makes a decision to not attack him back and not kick him out of the kingdom. The reality is that we need Shimei's in our lives because they reveal a man's true character and true leadership. Too many pastors are too quick to put people out of their church or to sit people down when they take over churches. And what you don't understand sometimes, and I know there's a time and a place for that, but what we don't understand is that Shemiites keep us accountable. And I talk to some pastors, man, and it seems like every time I talk to them, all they're doing is sitting people down or putting rebels out. Usually it's because they question them. And I said, well, what happened, man? Oh, man, this guy came and he questioned me and, and my decision. And, and I told him not to be doing that. So then he went to another guy and, and he asked them. And so I threw them out. So they can't come to you and they can't come to church people. Who do they go to? eyes make you prove yourself and your leadership. Will you respond correctly when someone is attacking you the way they were attacking David? David said, let him alone and let him curse for the Lord has ordered him. David responded well because he understood that people were watching every decision that he was making and how he judged things. And he understood that his decisions were either going to help him or cripple his ministry. He had learned this before with Nabal and Abigail. Abigail had said to him, hey, don't do this. Don't kill Nabal. Your decision when you come into the kingdom is either going to hinder you or it's going to propel you. David, don't do this. 1 Samuel 25, 30 says, as he's on his way to kill Nabal, we know the story. Abigail meets him and says, and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all 
the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has engaged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Um, and so this is something that he understood. He had already gone through. He understood that my decisions are going to affect my ministry. And the truth is that sometimes the people that attack or question your leadership in the beginning when you take over a church, um, if you prove yourself uh, to them, can be some of your greatest assets later. And those that immediately get behind you and pump you up and, and cheer you on many times uh, are the ones that betray you and become your worst enemy later. Can you say Ahithophel? When I first took over the church in McAllen, you know, immediately, I mean, I was only there a week. And I'm in the office with this man. And, and uh, you know, it, it gets heated really fast. And so, you know, he's in my face. And he's, te- he's cursing me out. He wants, he's telling me off. He then closes his fist and his bottom lip begins to shake. And I'm like, oh, no, don't swing, man. Please don't swing. I don't want to have to knock you out, bro. Please. And he's, he's shaking, man. And he finally storms out of there. And then he starts sending me all these texts. Just vile, man. Vile texts. He said to me, you know what? You're nothing but a vato from the streets. He says, you're devoid of understanding, and you're not ever going to do good here. And, uh, you know, he was partly right. I had to go home and look up what devoid meant. <laughs> that's, man, that's not even a lie. I went home, and what the heck does devoid mean, man? You know, we, I told the council about it, and they said, you know what, let's just put him out, man. And he's been, you know trouble in the past and I said you know what man as long as he doesn't swing at me I don't care as long as he's not telling other people you know he keeps it to himself he's just telling me I don't have a problem with that are you sure yeah I'm okay with it you know uh, a year passed man and uh, this guy ended up being one of the one, one of the major givers in the church I'm talking about he was dropping thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars in the church about three years had passed and it's 11 o'clock at night, me and my wife are uh, at a hotel in San Antonio, and I get a phone call from him, and I'm like, oh, man, it's 11 o'clock, you know, and so I'm like, all right, I answer it. And he, you know, he's crying. He's a grown man, man. He's past his 50s, you know. He's a, uh, uh, um, got a doctor's degree, and, uh, and, and he says to me, he says, Pastor, he says, I'm about to do something I've never done uh, before. He says, I want to tell you that I love you, and, and I want to thank you for being patient with me and not putting me out. Today, his children, one of his sons just graduated as a doctor. Also, his children are involved in ministry. They are a major blessing to the church. But how many? Yes, amen. How many people, the moment that anything's questioned, or anything, I mean, just immediately, man, you know what? You're out of here. So let's look at, secondly, a house divided will not stand. The wisdom in leaving them alone. Verse 11, and David said to Abishai and all his servants, uh, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite, let him alone. Let's look at a few things that will hinder you from having a successful takeover. 
couple of things. Number one is taking things personal. I'm getting like a million texts as I'm preaching. Obviously, I can't look at my text right now. Amen. So let, let me preach. Amen. Uh, uh, you know, a few things that will hinder you. Number one is taking things personal. Amen. Probably one of the most annoying things to hear as you take over a church is pastor so-and-so didn't do it that way. The previous pastor's wife didn't run the nursery this way. And, you know, and sometimes they'll even begin to attack. They'll attack your ministry. They'll attack your children. They'll attack the way your wife dresses. Uh, and if you're not careful, man, you begin to take things personal. And what happens when you take things personal is then now you have to attack. You have to begin to attack back. It's right here where many pastors begin to attack and destroy the church. And they start saying things about the previous pastor and his, past, uh, and his wife. One of the worst things you could ever do is to put down the previous pastor. Now I've seen guys that take over churches of 100, 150 and dwindle them down to 10 people. And when you talk to them, what went wrong, man? Nobody was saved. Not, not, one, not one good couple in 110 people? No, nah, man. I don't know what the previous pastor was doing. And the problem is that they come in, you know what? I'm the new sheriff in town. Instead of, I'm the new shepherd in town, how can I serve you? <laughs> Remember that those people are hurting. It's hard to, to let a pastor go, amen, when he accepts a call to a mission field. Or for whatever reason, there's a takeover. It doesn't matter. Listen, you know one thing I learned about taking over uh, 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 an instant family? Is that it doesn't matter how much of a loser their real father was. Uh, he's always their hero. It doesn't matter if everything you're saying is true about the previous pastor. He is their hero. Biggest fear of any pastor that has pioneered and built anything from the ground is to turn it over to somebody that's going to destroy it. What about insecurity? Insecure pastors and pastor's wife don't do well in takeovers. If you can't handle people praising the previous pastor, if that's going to make you boil, then you are not going to do well. You find out his favorite color was gray, so you turn everything brown. <laughs> Look at the way he put the chairs up here. I can't believe it. And so you put them on that side. They're supposed to be separated an inch away from each other. You haven't seen Prescott's chairs? He's doing everything wrong here. I'm blown away at the pastors that are so insecure that they won't invite the previous pastor back to minister at the church. You know, I was taught that you invite the previous pastor back. I've done that with all three churches. Now, notice I didn't say I liked any of them. <laughs> but I did invite them back. It does wonders for your people. <laughs> it actually helps you more than it hurts you. But if you're not careful, man, you're insecure. You begin, to, you begin to attack everything. You begin to change everything. I was talking to Pastor Greg, and he says, you know, uh, when we say don't change anything, it doesn't mean you can't paint and fix cracks and stuff like that. We're talking about leadership. We're talking about, you know what, uh, making all these radical changes in the church and ministries and different things. 
was talking to a friend of mine, and he told me that uh, when uh, the new pastors had come in to take over a church, that the, the pastor's wife was walking around, and uh, she looked in the nursery, and she was with one of the disciples' wives. And so, you know, uh, she looks in the nursery, and she's like, oh, my gosh, this is the most gross nursery I've ever seen in my life. Who painted this? Who picked all this stuff? And the disciples' wife says, I did. See, she's trying to attack indirectly the other, you know, it's like, well, not even indirectly. That's pretty direct. Amen. (laughs) It doesn't help you. It'll hinder you. It'll hurt you. The third one, uh, I almost didn't put in, but I have to, is a dominant wife. When you take over a church and you have a dominant wife, now I know that these are very rare in our fellowship. Most of our wives, uh, no, I'm not trying to be funny. Most of our wives, you know what? Our, our pastor's wives are, are, are the heroes, amen, of this world, amen. They, they, they are awesome. Most, most pastor's wives are very balanced. Most pastor's wives are servants, amen. They love people, amen. Uh, but every once in a while, you get this dominant pastor's wife that wants to come in and run the church. First church we took over, one of the nursery workers wanted to fight my wife, Nora, in the nursery room. My wife's never been in a fight in her life. We're like complete opposites. Like she was insulted that anybody would even want to fight her. She's like, no, what are you saying? I don't, I don't, I don't fight. We're, we're in church. What are you talking about? She's like, well, me and the previous pastor's wife strapped it on in here. <laughs> See, having a dominant wife will hinder your takeover. So many wives don't know their place in takeovers. Having a wife that has a voice but isn't in charge is a great asset to your ministry. But when they fear your wife more than you, <laughs> there's something wrong. Again, it doesn't mean that she doesn't have a voice, that she doesn't have expression, amen, in the church. But dominant, aggressive wives who don't know their place will not do well in takeovers. And this is the issue that you see many times, is that the pastor is passive uh, and uh, the pastor's wife is more than eager to pick up what he's not willing to do. I'll take care of them. I heard a pastor's wife say, uh, let me preach one time and I'll shrink this church down to two people. Yeah, no, I believe it. (laughs) You come in a church, amen, it's such a blessing to have a wife that that understands hurt people, that understands uh, that uh, you need to work with people and, and, and give them an opportunity to build a relationship with you. Number four is giving up prematurely. You know, pastors that take over churches, uh, when they begin to see that things don't go well, they give up too quick sometimes. You know, I just had two couples. I've been pastoring the McAllen Church now going on 10 years. I've had two couples just recently in the last few months come up to me and tell me, Pastor, we finally made a decision to get behind your ministry. We are going to submit under you from here on out. Now, they weren't giving me any trouble. It shocked me. I thought they had already received my ministry. Amen. But (laughs) 
apparently they're still waiting. You know what they're doing? They're, they're looking at the way you handle stuff. They're looking at the way you, you make decisions, the way you care for people or don't care for people. These are two couples that have been in the church for 30 years. I'm their third pastor. And after 10 years, you know what? I'm going to get behind you now. I believe it's Pastor Warner that said takeovers are like ships, not boats. Ships take a long time, amen, to turn around. Boats you can turn. Takeovers are like ships. Stick around long enough and you'll see some things. Win the people over. Love the people. Care for them. Be a blessing to them. Serve them. Me and Nora were recently, I mean, a few months back in Chetumal, Mexico, with one of our couples. And, um, you know, they have a blended family, but you would never know it if someone didn't tell you. There is no stepson, there is no stepdaughter, half-brother, half-sister. There is no, your kids sit on that side, my kids sit on this side. It's really crazy because her kids uh, are the ones that are around him all the time. And his kids, they both had uh, kids from previous relationships. And his kids are the ones that are with her. And, and so listen, it is a beautiful thing to see that. But it's even more beautiful when you see it in a church. It's sad, man. No, I'm from Apollos. On this side and on this side, we're from Paul. And a house divided will not stand. It's beautiful when you can't even tell who's from who, what fruit is from, who, from what. My kids, my converts, my, you see those people, man, they're troubled. They came from the other pastor. <laughs> Let's close with trusting God. Now we need to work together. Verse 12, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. David, what he's saying is, you know what? It may be that by me having grace and mercy on him, God might have mercy and grace on me later. And there's a few things that you're going to need in order to be able to, to build God's house or to have a successful takeover. Number one is you're going to need help. Like I said, my wife and, and my pastor, amen, have been an incredible help to me. My pastor is the area leader there. Amen. We benefit from their leadership. We benefit from their covering. Amen. On my way to take over the McAllen church, uh, he told me, listen, I want you to call Pastor Warner. I want you to call Pastor Stevens. Uh, get some information. Get some insight, man, about taking over this church. I called them both. It was, a, I mean, just that alone helped me to arrive with the right mind. We benefit from our leaders. I'm talking about my third church. I could eat. Now I've already done this a few times. I got this. I don't need nobody's help. No, man, listen. What about the labor of the man that was there before you? I took over an amazing. As a matter of fact, all three churches I've taken over have been amazing. All I had to do is just get there and start running. There was already disciples, there was already liberal people, there was already people that believed in God, people that prayed. I mean, I just kind of just inserted myself and actually just went along with everything that was going on. You have to value the people that you're taking over. Faithful saints who believe in their church and get behind you 
They get behind you even when you make crazy mistakes and decisions. Even when you don't make sense. They're like, man, he's a little off today, man. But you know what, man? Just, uh, okay. 90% of the time, he's really good, man. You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, listen, as a result, we have grown together there in the McAllen Church. And we've accomplished amazing things together. You know, every leader that I took over and uh, the, every council member that I took over are still in place. We haven't lost not one of them. In business, you don't reinvent the wheel. You use your best practices. My best assets in the McAllen Church, listen, we have hundreds of new converts. But my best assets are not the new people, man. They're the older people, the pillars. They've experienced some things. They've weathered some storms. They know what it's like to go through some things. Those are my greatest assets. Number two is personal growth. I've grown through each takeover. My first takeover was in uh, Victoria, Texas. My second was San Marcos, Texas. And my third now in McAllen, Texas. Listen, there would be no McAllen without Victoria. Each takeover has been a different season in my life. You have to ask God to give you wisdom. You know what would really be a major blessing is that if you had some friends, pastor friends, where you can, you know what, share some thoughts with him, to, you know what, bounce some things off him. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. You know, I have outstanding friends in the ministry. Men that I call and they're like, bro, no, that's not, that's not wise. You shouldn't do that. Man, are you sure? Because I really feel like doing it. Yeah, no, no, no. It's going to feel great, but the after effect is not going to be good. Just once, let me. See, if you don't have friends, you haven't been able to bounce things off of, then it's just your mind and your thoughts and your heart. Mine, I don't know who preached on it this week. Mine's all jacked up. <laughs> I, can't, I can't trust myself. Amen. I still call my pastor to this day and ask him for advice. Ask God to give you a shepherd's heart. God, give me and my wife a shepherd's heart to love these people, even those that don't fully understand what I'm doing for them. Build relationships in the church. Let them see how you love God, how you love your wife, how you love your children. Too many pastors, they pastor from a distance. Third, and I think it's one of the main keys that Pastor Mitchell taught us, is you're going to have to learn to forgive people. Forgiveness is key. Dave, uh, David forgave Shemei. You, you know, we have to learn to leave things in God's hands. Again, I understand that there's times that, that, that there's real rebels, and, and I, I get all that. But you know what the truth is? That God deals with the Shemeis. If, if you know the ending of this story, David is on his deathbed and he says, he says to his son, remember Shemei. These were some of his last words. And Solomon calls Shemei. He says, listen, man, you can live here. The day I find out you cross the river, you're going to die. First Kings 2.44, the king said moreover to Shemei, you know, as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David, therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own heart. 
Listen, those of you that give pastors a hard time. But the king Solomon shall be blessed. And the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehida. And he went out and struck him down and he died. You have to, you have to trust. You, you have to allow people to let, to, to work things out. Amen. Especially when you've just come into a church. Let them weather some things. Let them, you know, work things out in their own life. This was, you know, one of the things that really, really, you know, Pastor Mitchell had so many amazing things about him, Pastor Wayman Mitchell. And you see it now working in Pastor Greg. One of the things that I loved about Pastor Mitchell is that he was very forgiving. He was always happy. You know, you would think, man, after so many people that have betrayed him, talked about him, built webs, I mean, all kinds of crazy things, and yet he was forgiving. If you got your heart right, you could come back in. You have to learn to forgive. I close with this story. Both my sons, they left when they were 17 years old. Not one of them. Uh, while I was raising them, would you know, ever said thank you for being my dad, a- anything like that. They weren't, they were great kids. Awesome, man. Two of the greatest sons to this day. But I didn't get thank yous. I didn't get, man, thank you for going to work every day, dad, and just providing for us while my real father's not here. I, I didn't get any of that. My son, almost 10 years, my middle son, almost 10 years after he left, he wrote this, he posted this on Instagram. He said, shout out to my stepdad, Roman Gutierrez. I wish I could change a lot of things growing up on what we used to put you through. We were young, dumb, and rebellious, but you loved us no matter what. Many of y'all know him or about him, but nobody knows what he went through and what he had to deal with trying to raise somebody else's stubborn kids. If you're a stepfather, I respect you for dealing with somebody else's responsibilities. He always showed us nothing but love. He did a hundred times more for us than our biological father did. Not once has he ever said anything bad against my real father, no matter how much of a jerk, which is not what he put, but jerk he was. (laughs) And my stepfather would always tell us bad things about him. Roman always introduced us as his kids, not his stepkids. He taught me right from wrong, took us to work every morning with him at 5 a.m. when we reached middle school to teach us on how to be a man and that nothing is given to you for free in life. Most of all, he treats, he treats my wife like the queen, my mom like the queen that she is. Love you, man. Thanks for being the dad I never had. I pray I can be like you one day. Amen. One way love. Amen. That's all I've got. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.